communicate his word with simplicity and power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. So, Father, we thank you for this precious moment to fellowship with one another, to you know, be blessed by your utterances, be blessed by your word. Father, we ask that you teach us. Let our lives not be the same. Let us leave tonight's meeting with a definite knowledge of your person. Inspire our hearts in the name of Jesus. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Alright, so good evening everybody. Um, it's, not, it's not too late to say um, Happy New Week. So Happy New Week to every one of us. And I trust that our week has been going fine. And um, in case you, um, you know, your week started on a wrong note, you know, you've, been, you, you've been having one issue or the other. I just want to encourage you and say that you are not alone. God is with you. Most importantly, God is in you. Right? That's one of the greatest revelations of all times. You know, Paul spoke to the church and said, you know, that there's a mystery that has been hidden from all ages, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and that's a powerful revelation because the entirety of the Christian faith is solidified in the truth that Christ is in the believer. So you are not just in Christ as a believer, Christ is in you. And so you go through circumstances, you go through situations, you go through challenges, you go through occurrences with the revelation that God is not just with you, but God is on the inside of you. You know, and never let us never lose sight of this truth. You know, these are things that um, we ought to bury our hearts into. We ought to consistently and constantly feed our hearts with this truth that Christ is in us. You know, when we when we when we talk about these things, I think I posted something last week, and I want to reiterate it for some of us who didn't get a chance to, you know, to read my post because I don't get to always write stuff like that all the time sometimes once in a while when I feel inspired by the Holy Ghost I'll just pen a few things down on my status you know just to encourage somebody and I was and I was you know on that post I was saying that when we teach new creation realities when we teach the realities of the man in Christ Jesus we are not trying to sound deep you know it pains me a lot when people think that when we teach these things, we are trying to sound deep. As a matter of fact, I personally don't like to sound deep. I don't like to say things and everybody's like, wow, ooh, yeah, that guy is deep. I don't want all of that. You know, <laughs> because when, when, when on the last day, on the, at the judgment seat of Christ, the question will not be how deep you sounded. That's not, that's not what Jesus would ask. In simple terms, you will just want to know how much of his will you did upon the earth and how much of him you revealed in your earth work. So it's more important for me to reveal Christ you know, through my life, you know, you know, through my decisions, 
than trying to sound deep. Right. So when we, when we talk about, when we teach new Christian realities, when we take so much time like we have been doing with the book of Romans, you know, inspiring our hearts to see the depth of the riches of the gospel of Christ and of the salvation of our God. You know, when we take time to do all these things, it's not because we want to sound deep, we want to sound special. It's just that these things are our realities. And you get what I'm saying? These things are, they are our realities. We, we cannot but study them. We cannot but know them. You know, and I know that over time, most people that teach new Christian realities, you know, have the tendency of going into the extreme, you know, and all of those funny, funny things. You know, like, like, like somebody saying, um, um, if you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It is your spirit that is saved. God relates with your spirit. So even if you go around sleeping with all the old girls in town, God is not offended because your past, your, your present and your future sins are forgiven. And not just that, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And not just that, God doesn't relate with your body, he relates with your spirit and all of that. So what you do with your body doesn't matter. And all those things is just gibberish. It's just, they are just deception. You know, and because Satan is the master at you know deceiving people, and like we've already heard me say that the greatest battle of the last days is actually deception. All right, you know I know that there have been some extremes, and and that's the case with many you know with in different um, circle believers circle around the world. There's always this tendency to go to the extreme, but by the special grace of God. One of the things I trust God for as a person and as a teacher, even in my own personal work with God and in teaching His people, I like to, to stay within the confines of the revelation of Scripture. And that is why I always, I always advocate for contextual interpretation of Scripture. That if you are going to interpret the Scripture, you must interpret it in context. And like I will always say this, and I will say this till I die, that if we all learn to interpret scripture contextually, we will discover that we will all have one interpretation of scripture. Because every verse of scripture has actually one meaning. And I'm not going to, you know, chicken that out for any reason. Because that's just the truth. Alright. But that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm just saying is that every believer needs... If you are a believer, if you are a man in Christ, you need to be solid. You need to be grounded in your realities as a new creation. You know, I was in a small gathering, and, and there was this, you know, questions, you know, uh, you know, talking, you know, this question, you know, brewing in the atmosphere on that particular. The people were asking questions and deliberating, you know, let me not bore you with the old thing. So, and, and a lady said something that made me worried. You know, she said. All these new creation realities, me, I don't like it too. And you know, the thing got me worried because this person believes that she's a new creation. For example, she, she will quote Second Corinthians 5.17 and says, If any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. And so she believes that if she, because she's in Christ, she's a new creation. But yet she is saying she doesn't like new creation reality. So, you know, it sounded contradictory. You know why? You know why it sounded contradictory? Because... If you say you are a new creation, then you should be learning your realities as a new creation. That is just what it is. And so the entirety of the epistles, all right, 
when I mean the epistles, I'm talking about Romans to Jude, basically, gives you the scope of what your reality is as a new creation. For example, we know that your reality as a new creation is love. That's one of your realities. You are, you are a being of love. You are the nature of love. What should be strange to you as a believer is when you find yourself hating. So it means that your natural default at posture is love. But if you are not well taught, if you are not well grounded in that truth, it will be difficult for you to express your nature, which is love. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so when we teach new creation realities, we are trying to bring your consciousness into who you have become in Christ Jesus. Because you see, you cannot express what you are not conscious of. You see, for example, sisters, when you wake up in the morning, you know, just listen to this analogy. This will help you understand what, why we do all we, are, all we do. And, and not just take it for granted. You know, when you wake up in the morning, maybe you're going out going to church or going to work you wake up in the morning you have your devotion for some of us that do our devotions in the morning you know you know which i feel everybody should all right and so you have your devotion you, you go to the bathroom you have your bath and then you, you, you come out you, you you know you wear your clothes you make up you know as as um orderly and as simple as it should be and then you do all of those things what informs those actions is a consciousness. A consciousness that you are a woman. Me that I'm a man, I can't wake up in the morning and begin to use makeup. Because I have a consciousness that I'm not a woman. This thing is not for me. You get what I'm saying? I don't need, you won't come to my house and find makeups. Alright? Maybe when I get married, you will come to my house and then you see makeups but obviously you know that it's not for me it's either for my wife or for my daughter or something but personally i won't use that because i have a consciousness that it is not for me it's not part of my realities as a man you get what i'm saying so what informs your action is a consciousness so you as a lady you wake up in the morning use your makeup you know try to look good you know you keep your eyes focused on the mirror trying to ensure that every line you know everything you are applying to your face is you know is in the right proportion it's okay for you before you step out you are doing all of that because of the consciousness that you are a woman all right of course i know that some women don't use makeup and that doesn't make you more spiritual than those who do so let me give you that straight understanding don't feel you are special than people who use makeup. So, but in case you are not, you don't use it. But as a lady, you wear skirts, you wear all of that. I can't wake up in the morning and wear skirts. Be just simply because I have a consciousness that I am a man. And so, wearing skirts, you know, of course, apart from a tradition in Scotland, where men wear skirts at a particular time, I, don't, I can't really explain. But, but as a man here in Nigeria, I would, I wouldn't wear skirts for any reason. And you get what I'm saying? So, what informs our action is a consciousness. And so you can't live as a new creation man if you don't if you are not grounded in a consciousness of your realities as a new creation. And so I said all of that to say that when we when we take time to study our realities, when we take our time to you know, teach new new creation realities, we are not trying to sound deep. As a matter of fact, these are the ABCs of the Christian faith. 
all I've been teaching you for the past two, three weeks and all I've been teaching you for a long time on this platform have just been the ABCs of the gospel. You know? They're just the ABCs of the gospel. These are the basic things that everybody who is a believer should know and should acknowledge and accept. Look at this. In Philemon chapter 1, verse I think 6 or verse 9, Paul tells Philemon, he said, Let the communication of your faith be effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you. And so that means if there's no acknowledgement of the good things that are in you, so the good things in you would, 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 would refer to your realities in Christ Jesus, which are your present day realities, not future realities. These are your present day realities. For example, if you think that your ability to cast out devils will come in the future, Maybe when you have become a great MOG or a pastor's wife, a geo, a mommy geo one day, or maybe you, know, you have prayed and fasted so much. If you have that mentality, it will be difficult for you to cast out devils. Whereas Jesus said that these signs shall follow them that believe. So these signs are for believers. So if you are a believer, the ABC of being a believer would also mean casting out devils. So when you talk about casting out devils, people just think, oh, you know, you're just trying to sound deep. But these are just ABCs of the gospel. You get what I'm saying? So I'm saying that these things that we teach, they are for you. They are your realities. You ought to embrace them. You ought to accept them. You know, it, it makes me sad when you get to some Christian circles, you know, and then you teach these ABCs, and then there's, there's rancor everywhere. There's suspicion. People just think, oh, this guy is an erratic person. And I'm wondering, that, look, our fathers have done a lot of work to open our eyes to this truth since 100 years ago. It pains me that in this 24th century, you will still lack the basic knowledge of these things. We're not even talking about deep things. We're just talking about simple things. And some people will still find it so hard to accept you know, and that's because within the recesses of the natural man, the recesses of the art of a natural man is, you know, is this complexity. I don't know if I'm saying the right words, but by nature, many people, many human beings are just complex. So if something is too simple and sounds too good to be true, we, we are suspecting it. For example, if I come and tell you that you don't need to pray and fast to be able to cast out devils. You just need to know that in Christ Jesus, you have the authority. And I say those things. People will just think, oh, he's just, try, he's just trying to sound you know, special. But if I come and say, oh, before you can cast out the devil, you need to fast for several months. Fast for several and all of those things. You are likely to believe me because it sounds complex. It sounds complex. All right. When we talk about hearing God, for instance, hearing God, you know, I studied the scriptures, the pieces. You will never find. This is what I'm about to say. I want to say something very important. When you study the pieces properly, you will never find any text, basically, or any thesis in the pieces that addresses how to hear God. Like, for example, Paul says, "Now this is how you, you can hear God." They didn't address it. And so, but people were hearing God. And they, so it means that the apostles believed. 
that if you are a believer, one of the most natural things for you would be to hear God. Just the same way when you have a baby, you are not going to teach that baby how to hear unless maybe that, you know, that child has hearing you know, problems, which I, I strongly believe that none of, none of us will, would have such. And I also pray that for as many people you know, who were born deaf and something, you know, the Lord would heal them because that's not God's perfect plan. Right? But, but that's not the issue for now. But in the, in the natural setting, when you give birth to a baby, it, the most natural thing for is as the baby grows, that baby begins to hear a period, begins to hear come, begins to hear daddy, begins to hear mommy, and then she can also say it, and then she can also respond. You get what I'm saying? It's just natural. So the apostles never really felt that it was something spectacular. For example, if you tell people, I hear God concerning the matter, they are wondering, oh, why are you trying to, to be spiritual? But that's just what it is. You should hear God. It's your nature. Jesus said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. So Jesus factored hearing him as part of your reality, as a sheep in the fold. So hearing God is so, just so natural for you. But if you don't have the consciousness that you can hear God, there's high tendency that you will not hear him. And number two, if you are not developing your relationship with God, in your relationship with God, growing spiritually, it will be difficult for you to also hear God. Because just the same way a baby, a newborn baby, may not be able to hear when a parents call her. You get that child will need to grow. So also, for, for so many of us, hearing God is attached to our growing. I get what I'm saying. So I'm just saying that our experiences in Christ Jesus, our experiences as believers, is directly proportional to how much of our reality in Christ Jesus we are conscious of. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, I said all of that to say that what we are doing here on this platform is strategic. It's not something far-fetched. It's not something, you know, something out of the box. We're not trying to sound deep. We're not trying to be a 21st century believer. We're not trying to, you know, I believe everybody can hear me clearly. We're not trying to sound deep. It's just who we are. And we are just learning our realities. Alright. So the Lord will bless our hearts tonight. Alright, so for the past few weeks, for the past few weeks, um, we've been talking of, you know, doing a study on the book of Romans. And I believe it has been enlightening for you. I believe it's, it, has been, um, it has been a journey of new discoveries in Christ. Not totally new discoveries. There are already existing discoveries. But, but for some of us, you know, we are coming into, into deeper understanding of the, of the word of God's dreams. There are so many things in my heart I want to share. So many things in my heart. I just, you know, today I just want to talk to us. You know, and I'm, I'm going to be so direct and simple as much as I can. I, I, I want to just talk to us because you guys are my people, you're my friends, you're my brothers and my sisters. And um, God has granted me grace at this time, and I do not take it lightly. He has granted me the opportunity to speak into your lives, to teach you. You know, and um, I'm, I'm not I'm not teaching you because um, I know so much, right? You know, I'm, 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 I'm humble enough to say that. And I'm not trying to be humble, actually. It's just the truth. 
I'm not trying to say I know so much. But over the years, God has taught me. God has opened my eyes to see. And I know what works. You know, if you have been listening to what we have been teaching for close to a year now, some, some of you joined this year, some of you joined last year, you know, of course, we, we really started proper Bible study, you know, last year, basically. We made it a weekly thing last year, at the middle of last year. Initially, I would just, you know, once in a while, maybe once or twice in a month, I would just do a Bible study with my friends. But as the Lord began to give us directives, we began to make this weekly and a lot of people have been blessed. I'm, I'm amazed that, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed rather at how many people join our Bible study every Tuesday and our prayer meetings every time. Alright, so people are being blessed. But I want to say something. You, you have got to believe the things we share on this platform. You have got to believe it. You have got to take them seriously. This is your life. I don't know about you, but this is your life. You know, I will, I will rather account God as true and every other man a liar than for me to be hearing the voices of men. And in the, in the bit of hearing the voices of men, I begin to, I begin to, in my attitude and in my consciousness, I begin to reject the truth that God has given in His Word. So the things that we are sharing here, you have got to believe. You know, and that's why every time we study, we make it open. You are free to ask questions. You know, people ask me questions all the time. And when I answer that question, some of them, you know, because when I teach, I leave room for questions. I leave room for doubts. You see, because for some people, that their doubts, you know, because it is not a doubt that is coming from pride. It is just a doubt coming from, ah, okay, can this thing be true? Okay, because they have that kind of simplicity of heart. If they, if they trust God and they study their Bibles, you know, properly, they will see the truth. Are you getting what I'm saying, friends? So, so, but there are some people that when, when they hear you teach, it doesn't matter what you say. They have their own thoughts. They are not willing to change their mind. They, they have made up their mind concerning certain things. Right? And I hope that we don't have people like that in this community. Because you won't be blessed if you're like that. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, over the years, there are some things that I personally have had to change. <laughs> you know, there was a time I went to teach somewhere. I was, it was a long time ago. I was still quite young. I'm still young. I'm still a young man. I'm not up to 30. All right? But I was far younger then. So I went to teach in a place. And um, I said something, you know, in a rush of my emotions. You know, at that time, I did not know that, you know, you, when you are teaching God's word, you don't teach from your emotions. And I'm, I'm going to explain what I mean. So in that meeting, I told, I told the people, I said, if you, if you, if you, um, how do I put it? If you commit, if you, if you make a mistake or you, are, you keep, how did I even put that word? I said something about, you know, people, you know, committing sin and all of that. And I said, if you, if you do that, it means you are not a child of God. That's what I said. And, and I said all of that. And you know, people, when you say things like that, they sit up and then they like things like that. Actually, the human beings like things that are hard, that are complex. And so when I went to the Holy Ghost came to me, you know, as a gentle teacher and said to me and said that was not correct and you get what I'm saying 
said that was not correct. He said, there are many times that children of God make mistakes because they don't know better. Basically because they don't know better. Not everybody, you know, commits sins because they just like sin. You know, some of them commit sins because they don't know any better. You get what I'm saying? And so the Holy Ghost took me through a journey, you know, teaching me. And so I discovered that I was wrong. And I was able to correct that wrong. Praise God. So I'm not trying to sound like, um, you know, I've not had to. You know, even you know, if you genuinely want to grow in God, you have to learn how to, you know, submit to correction from the Holy Spirit, from other people. And then you also have to learn how to be open to the Word of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, it will, it will not benefit you if you have made up your mind concerning certain things. You know, your conviction must only lie in the revelation and the accurate interpretation of God's Word. I'm using those words carefully. Your conviction must, re- must lie on the revelation and the proper correct interpretation of the scriptures. Are you getting what I'm saying? So that's, that's the way you must live your life. And so, if somebody comes with a proper interpretation of scripture and the person shows you, shows you different scriptures with a proper interpretation of scripture, you should be able to go back to your, you know, go back to your own Bible, study more, you get what I'm saying. I, you, we all have Bibles. We are not in. in, in the, I remember I was in a meeting. What I have said, go back and study. You know, I remember I was in a meeting. You know, because at that time I didn't agree with, but but because at that time I have become more matured, I become more matured in the things of the Spirit. I have become more mature in my disposition to receiving God's word. So even when I didn't agree, I didn't I didn't argue. I I, I rarely argue. I don't argue, actually. I don't like to argue and debate over nonsense. You know. So when he said it, I didn't quite believe because it was strange. It was something I was probably hearing for the first time. You know, and, and so I took that word, penned it down, and listened, and continued listening to him. So when we're done with the service, I got back home, opened my scripture, did a study, and I found out that what that man said was true. Absolute truth. So that's why I keep saying that for the fact that something is not popular does not mean it is false. And I will always say this. Sometimes what is popular, what is popular is actually the false thing. And that's why for everybody in the body of Christ that has brought the accurate revelation of God's word into the body, one of the first things that always happens is that the church always stamps them as heretic people. False, they have come with false doctrine because the human nature doesn't like change. When you hear something that you are hearing for the first time, your first reaction is always this thing is a lie. This guy, and you shouldn't be like that. That's why James says, receive with meekness. You see, if your heart lacks weak meekness, you cannot grow in the things of God. You cannot grow in the revelation of God's word. You need meekness. You can't have a know-it-all attitude. If you have a know-it-all attitude, God can't do much with you. God can't bless you with revelation. He can't bless you with bread and wine if you have a know-it-all attitude. In fact, one of the problems of the Pharisees was that they felt they knew God. And Jesus came and told them, he said in the book of John, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, he said, you people claim to see. And because you, you, you claim to see, I will leave you in your blindness. 
I will go to people who claim that they are blind. I will go to them and make them see. And he, he told them in another place. He said, yes, search the scriptures. Thinking that in the scriptures you have eternal life. But they testify of me. And so these guys felt that they knew it all. That was their major problem. They felt they know God. They have the oracles of God. You know, what is this small guy coming to tell us? And because of that day, you know, it's just a whole lot. You need a lot of meekness to receive God's word. And not just that you receive God's word, you, you have to build your convictions on God's word. And very importantly, when you are receiving God's word, you have to learn to go back to your scriptures and study. It's an honorable thing. The Bible says the Bereans were found to be more noble in the sense that when Paul taught them, they accepted him as a messenger of God, they received his message, but they didn't stop there. The Bible says they went back to search if all that he was saying was true. That is how a believer should behave. When you are being taught God's word, you should go back and study. For example, we'll be doing the book of Romans. I doubt if there are many of us who have actually been doing a study on the book of Romans since we began. You see, because what a man taught you, you can forget. But when you receive what you have been taught, and then you study more, you will discover that it will be very hard for any man to take it away from you. It will be hard. It will be hard for, for situations to take it away from you. The reason many of us, we go to church, we hear sermons, we go for meetings, we hear sermons, and when situation arises, for us to use the word we have learned, we found one thing. It's because, it's because we have not gained conviction about what we have been taught. And so it's very important that we are diligent with what we are being taught. And so I've said in a couple of things tonight. I've said that new creation reality is what you should be learning. That's what you should be learning. Don't, when you hear new creation reality, don't think it's, it's a kind of message for some people. Some people are just bringing a kind of message. No, that is the message of the man in Christ. From Romans to Jude, you know, let me just put it that way. Romans to Jude contains the message to believers. And it is actually the, the realities of the new creation man that the apostles are teaching. For example, all, the, all we have been teaching in the book of Romans is actually our reality. And so let me do a quick recap. Let me use the opportunity to, to do a quick recap. We began some weeks back. And then I began to teach you from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 3. How that Paul began to show us that every man born of a woman has been judged a sinner has been judged by God to be sold under sin and I showed you a scripture in case you missed those teachings too bad but you know I, I can't go back to all of that it will take my time alright but I showed you scriptures and we solidify that fact that true you know because some people are of the opinion that not everybody who was born a woman is a sinner, you know. It's just so funny. But there are direct scriptures that shows that, look, the principle of God is that the disobedience of one man became the disobedience of many. So also, the obedience of one man has become the righteousness of many. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the principle of God. And I showed you that in the first Adam and the last Adam. You know, when Adam sinned, the word Adam means human race. It's not... It's not a name like Infani, uh, Matuku, uh, Tokbet. No, that's not. When you hear Adam, Adam, also, you know, you hear some prophets say Adam. Let me be prophetic now. Adam. When you hear Adam, it means human, humanity, human race. And that is why it was from Adam that Eve was brought out. You get what I'm saying? That's, you know, that's just another theology on its own. 
And we look at this. So when Adam sinned, you know, all of us sinned according to the law of identification and baptism. All right? This, because those things are spiritual laws. Just the, and I showed you just the way it was said that Levi paid tithe in Abraham. And I showed you this in scriptures. The Bible says Levi paid tithe in Abraham. But at that time, Abraham was paying tithe to Melchizedek. Levi was not even born. In fact, Levi is a great grandson of Abraham. Abi, great grandson. Yes, he's a great grandson. So he was not even alive. But as far as Abraham has paid that tithe, God said Levi to pay the tithe. Now you get what I'm saying. So it's a, it's a spiritual law. It's called the law of identification, the law of baptism, you know, and all of that. And so, when Adam sinned, all of us sinned. So, if you are born of a woman, born of flesh and blood, God has already judged you a sinner. And I did show you that man became so sinful that God cried out in Genesis chapter 6 and said, My spirit shall no longer strive with man because he has become flesh. And flesh, he's not talking about your body, you know, your skin, no. Flesh in this context is talking about that man has become susceptible to death. Man has, as, as, you know, is now under an operational system that makes him continuously and unrepentantly rebellious to God. That's why it is impossible for the natural man to please God. That's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that for those that are in the flesh, it is impossible for you to please God if you are in the flesh. And then he said, glory to God. We are not in, we are not in the flesh, but we are in the spirit because the spirit of God is in us. All right? And so Paul shows us that from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And then from chapter 3 to chapter 5, Paul began to show us the benevolence of God. That God in his mercy, when he found out that man could no longer approach him, man could no longer fellowship, man could no longer, you know, maintain a relationship with him, man had become utterly sinful, you know, God knew that we have to do something. And what was God's solution to the sinfulness of mankind? The atonement of Christ. Glory to God. And that is why if there's nothing you want to give God thanks for, as long as you are a believer, you have the Spirit of God. That is enough to give God thanks for. Are you with me? So man was utterly sinful and then God brought a solution and that was the blood of his son. It became our propitiation, the propitiation of our sins. You know, and through his blood we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Ephesus, we have forgiveness of sins. And so right now we can approach God as sons. We can approach God with boldness. You see, there's never anything you can do that will make God ashamed. Look, look, look at this. Look at this. this is so powerful. There's nothing you can do eh, that will make God ashamed of you. Or that will make you... That will, I don't know how to put it. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain grace and mercy in time of need. You see, if you are a believer and you are constantly falling into sin, what you need is actually grace. Let me, put, let me make it more simple. What you actually need is understanding that you have been designed to live only by the grace of God. And, now, and that led me to begin to teach you in Romans chapter 6, chapter 8, that it is impossible for you to meet up to the standards of God by the arm of the flesh. I, I think this thing is so hard for some people to believe. And, and I told you that's because of the human nature. We are complex. We like complex things. We like complex things. Do you know the standard of God? Oh my God. 
You know, when I meditate upon the holiness of God, I always say, God, I thank you. That you didn't even disturb me. You just made me holy. You know, some of you feel you can do many things to become... Do you know, do you know when they say holy, holy? When the angels are saying holy, holy, do you know what it means? Let me tell you, no matter how perfect you look in your eyes, let me just give you one gist. This is for the mature, but I will say it. No matter how perfect you seem in your own eyes, if Jesus appears to you in his glory, can I tell you what will happen to you? You will look at yourself and you will begin, you begin to see how unworthy you are of the presence of Jesus. I know what I'm saying. Let me not even say Jesus. If an angel, an angel from the Lord, from the throne room of God appears to you in your room, in his glory, because sometimes angels appear in, in human forms, right? You see that in scripture, you know, Abraham, you know, and all of those things. But if an angel appears to you in his glory, if a seraphim or a cherubim appears to you in his glory, it will remain small for you to begin to, in fact, not remain small, you will begin to worship him instantly because of the brightness of his glory, because of his holiness. You will suddenly see yourself, and, and it's not that you did anything wrong, go. But immediately you see that holiness and glory. Immediately you begin to realize that you are not worthy. And the angel will have to console you by saying, Fear not, I'm a fellow servant. Like I'm, 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 in fact, I've been sent to minister to you actually. We, we, did, we gathered the. And really that's how you know a true angel of the Lord. right? When an angel from God comes to you, one of the first things he will let you know is don't be afraid. Because when you see them, you'll be fearful. Because of the presence, the glory, not to talk of Jesus. So, so many of us, well, because you are tiny rapper, you feel you are holy, you know. Because your skirt is sweeping the old ground, you feel you are better. You know, and I want to say something. I have met many religious people. And there are two things I've noticed about them. Two things. Number one, religious people, are, they have high level hypocrisy. I know what I'm saying. And you can search scriptures. High level hypocrisy. You see, when you see a man that feels that he is pleasing to God because of the things he's doing, hypocrisy is not far from that man. Number two, religious people don't know how to show mercy. They don't know how to, they can't walk in love. They don't know how to show mercy. You know, the, the, the school I went to, I don't know about many people, but, but I used to notice people a lot. Most of the wicked lecturers we had were actually, in quotes, pastors in some churches. You know, there was a particular... I'm not saying this because I want to get, you know, bring down... I love the body of Christ and I honor men of God so much. But it became a burden to me. That how can you be a pastor and you are this wicked? I'm not talking about discipline. I'm not talking about being a disciplinarian or being a disciplined lecturer. I'm saying wicked. There was a particular, you know, lecturer. I don't know what the boy did. Maybe um, he didn't do anything much. Maybe he was talking to his friend during the class. I think he was trying to. And I know this guy. This guy is a very respectful person. He doesn't misbehave in class at all. You know. And, and I think he was trying to tell his friend something. And the man caught him. And the man said, you are going to fail this course. Now, it was not a matter of whether the boy did well in the exam or not. Whether he, in fact, let him write the whole word. The man said, you are going to fail. And he failed. You see, and when we discovered this man is a pastor, you see, all those kind of things. All those kind of things. And that's why we need to pray. That, you know, you know I, I'm saying this because, you know, it's an online, you know, study and prayer time. I, I, want, us, I want God to purge that, that religious spirit 
It's a wicked spirit. I've met many religious people. They are wicked. I'm telling you. You see all those sisters that is rubber, they used to use to tie their head. When you meet them, they are wicked. Wicked. You see, because whenever you try to attain the standards of God with your power, you know, by your strength, you feel the reason why you are acceptable to God is because you are doing something. It is very impossible for you to show mercy to other people who, who you consider as not being pleasant to God. And you get what I'm saying? Whereas you have forgotten that every one of us, even in our best days, in our best days, our righteousness cannot match up to the standards of God. Do you know what the Bible says? He says, as far as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That's what the Bible says. As the north is far from the south, what is it called? So also my thoughts are far from your thoughts. But blessed be God, in the new creation, God says we have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. You see, that didn't, didn't happen because you did much. It happened because of the benevolence of the grace of God. And so we that we have enjoyed the grace of God, we that we have come into the revelation of God's grace, it is now very easy for us to love God. It's very easy for us to serve Him. Very easy for us to love our brothers and to show mercy to other people. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you cannot by any strength of yours meet up to the standards of God. Do you know the holiness? Many of us used to think holiness of God is tiny rapper. We are just funny people. It makes me laugh. You say, sister that are wearing trousers, they don't know God. Are you joking? You don't want you that you are wearing scared. You think you're scared that makes you holy, makes you approach God. Are you, do you know the holiness of God? Do you know the holiness of God? I think for some of us, if God reveals the holiness of God to us, we'll be more humble. Many of us have not seen His holiness. And that's why we can brag about so many things. You see, this is the doctrine of grace. The doctrine of grace is that God is at work in you. Recognize it. Open up yourself to that workings of grace. Align with that workings of grace. Are you getting what I'm saying? Align yourself with that working of grace. Are you, do you even know that discipline is an attribute of the grace of God? You can't be disciplined without the grace of God. For example, you know, I taught you. I said the grace of God simply means the spirit of God working in you. Paul told Timothy, you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, he says, God has not given you... Um, he has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. You see, actually, the rendition is God has given you the spirit of power of love and of self-control, of self-discipline. So you see, even the ability to control yourself and to discipline yourself is actually by the help of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that helps you, that helps you actually. And that's why we need to maintain a life of prayer. I'm not going to pray tonight. I'm just saying all this because I want to say some things. You know, what I want to share today, I'll just go straight to the point. I don't want to talk too much. Because I want us to just pray some prayers. Are you are you with me, friends? Are we getting blessed? You know? So even it is the Holy Ghost that helps you to be disciplined. And and I think it is hard for so many of us because some of us, you know, were born into Christian homes, you know, uh, you know, our parents were pastors, you know they taught us well. So, you didn't really get a chance to do many bad, bad things. And you didn't have many chance to repent from many things. But for so many of us that were not born into such atmospheres, that we had to, we had gone wild before the hand of God took us and brought us into salvation. We know that discipline, <laughs> I don't want to say so many things tonight. So, the doctrine of grace is that God 
by the Spirit is at work in you. And then you have to work it out. And I showed you that from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, right? 12 and 13. That work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. And that simply means that there's a work going on in you. That is that is where the power comes from. There's a work going on in you. You have to recognize it, you have to accept it. And when you accept it, you accepting it is the beginning of you working it out. Because you can't work out what you don't know is on the inside of you. You see, as you know that God is working in you and you accept it, you recognize it, you acknowledge it, you know, you are able to align with what God is doing. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, we all need to understand, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to say some very sensitive things tonight because um, I don't know how many people are listening to me. But this, these things, they are true and faithful words. They are true and faithful words. They are true and faithful words. That is why on the last day, None of us will be able to say, I did it by my power. Why are you joking? You did what by your power? You cannot come and say, I did. We will all be at, at, at the feet of our master, thanking him for helping us through the journey. Because it, it, is so, it will be so obvious that we could never have gotten to that point without his mercy and grace. I repeat, if you see the holiness of God, you will drop your religious mindsets. Now, I'm not saying, look, if, if what I'm saying now means to you that you should believe in any harm, I doubt you are saved, first of all. Because I don't know how what I'm saying now would mean to you that you should believe in any harm. <laughs> it's not that what we are saying. So, personally, as a believer, alright, I know that God is working in me. And God, I, I can make bold to say that as a young man, God has helped me. God has helped me. And so, what I do is that I just rely on the strength of God at work in me. And I allow the Holy Ghost to guide me. I allow the Holy Ghost to help me. I lean on the breast of the Holy Ghost. I lean on His, on his strength. I'm conscious of the strength of the Holy Spirit. I'm conscious that indeed I'm dead to sin. That sin cannot have dominion over me. And I can boldly say that sin does not have dominion over me. You can say the same for yourself. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes, alright? I'm not saying, oh, I'm perfect, I'm I'm, 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 I'm hero, alright? No. I'm simply saying that by the mercy and the grace of God, God has helped me to live beyond the grip of sin. And that has been by His mercy and by His grace, which He has wrought towards me in Christ Jesus. That's what we are saying. This is your reality. Because you, you, you cannot imagine how many believers are struggling with one thing or the other, with one addiction or the other, with one thing or the other. And, and then you will be amazed at how many people are struggling, but they don't know how to come out. Whereas the Bible reveals that you are dead to sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. That's what the Bible says. I dare to believe it. I dare to be conscious of it. Don't forget that your experiences will always be a product and offspring of your consciousness. That's why I give that analogy. That as a lady, the reason why you wake up in the morning, the reason why you even think of Mary Kay and some other things is because you have the consciousness that you are a woman and these things are, should be part of your daily, you know, daily routine. 
for your womanhood or something. You, you get what I'm saying? As a man, I have nothing to do. If, if there's anything fashion I want to think of, I'm thinking of sneakers. Oh, I love sneakers. It's an idol, Abi. That's your business. <laughs> Me, I love sneakers. I love good shoes. You know, brogues, Oxford brogues, right? the Chelsea boots. You know, I love to, I love to wear jeans. That, that, would, that would be different from what you like as a woman. I'm, that is, I'm thinking like that because I'm a man. You get what I'm saying? So our experiences, our actions are different because we have different consciousness. So if you have the consciousness that God in Christ Jesus has made you holy, you know, look, look at what, look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, I think, chapter four, when you read. 21, 22, 23. He says, put off the old man and put on the new man, which in Christ Jesus, are you with me, was created in righteousness. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying, change consciousness. Because to put on would mean wear a new consciousness. To put off would mean reject a certain consciousness. So it's, a, it's an issue of consciousness. He said, put on the new man. So he's simply saying, put on that consciousness that you have become a new man in Christ Jesus. Now in Christ you are righteous. Now you can please God. Now you are in the spirit. Because Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are not in the flesh, but we are in the spirit. So the man in Christ Jesus is not trying to be in the spirit. He's not after I fast for 30 days. Listen, what fasting does to you is that fasting makes you more aware of the truth that you are in the spirit. And you get what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? Because that's not the essence of, of, of fasting. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting just makes you more conscious of spiritual atmosphere and spiritual things. So maybe in, in the time you're fasting for seven days over a matter, maybe you're trusting God for direction, and then God gives you a word during that seven days. It was not because you fasted that God spoke the word. God had given that word since. But it was because you were fasting that you were able to tune into that frequency. It's just like a radio. You know, you have beats, FM, I don't know the, the frequency now, maybe 109.7. You know, when you tune to 109.7, then you tune into that certain radio station, then you begin to pick what they are saying. It wasn't that, it was when you tuned, that's when they started speaking. They have been speaking before you tuned. But when you tuned, you tapped into that frequency. So that's what fasting is all about. It's not a matter of, it was when I fasted, then God spoke. No. If you had learned how to continually be conscious of spiritual things, you will be in your bathroom like this. You'll be, you'll be bathing in your bathroom. You'll be hearing God. You know, Bishop Eliko would tell us in one of his books, he said, I think he was having his bath. That's when he heard God say, go to Lagos. From Kaduna, go to Lagos. He wasn't praying and fasting. He was having his bath. Just, that's why you have to learn to, to have that consciousness that you are always... This thing starts from consciousness. Grace is active when you are conscious that you have it. Glory to God. And so, last week I gave you several instances. I know some of us might have forgotten, but unfortunately, I won't go back to it because I, I just need to start what I want to teach today. And what I want to teach today is very simple. Very simple tonight. So, um, today I'm going to continue. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to round up tonight very quickly. And like I said, I'm going to be fast. I hope you have been blessed already. Um, a quick one. In gathering is on Saturday. I don't think anybody should miss it. I'm going to be saying something, some, some very important things that, you know, just come on Saturday to be, a, to be an awesome time by the message of God. 
And so, we're going to be talking about the two last sections that I believe the book of Romans addressed. So the fourth one tonight, you know, the fourth one we're looking at, is God's plan for the Jewish nation. God's plan for the Jewish nation. Chapter 9 to 11, that was where Paul made that discourse, talking about God's plan for the Jewish nation. And God's and, and Paul says very striking things. It's, it's, it's a deep, it's a deep revelation. <laughs> but um, uh, because of time, I won't go into in-depth study. You know, because listen, if you don't understand God's plan for the Jewish nation, you will have some lapses in your Christian work. You know, some of you. You just believe that God is done with the Jewish nation. That God, God has moved from the Jews. He has now moved to the Gentiles. Glory to God. <laughs> you need to read your Bible properly. God is still very much interested in the Jewish nation. So, there's a depth of revelation. There's, it's actually a mystery you know, which will be revealed in the, in, in, at the end of the age and all of those things of God's plan concerning the Jewish nation. You know, let me just wrap this up. You know, the core of the chapter, the core of chapter nine to eleven, the the um, you know, how do I put this? The defining moment is that the word? The defining moment for Paul's discourse concerning God's plan for the Jewish nation is in Romans chapter eleven, verse sixteen to twenty-four. So open to Romans chapter eleven verse 16 to 24. So it means that everything that Paul was talking about from chapter 9 to chapter 11, Paul rounded it up with these few words from Romans chapter 11 to 16 to 24. So let's read it. That will be our first scripture tonight. Are we together, everybody? I believe... Um, um, I believe... Um, we will have um, ample time to deal with these issues tonight. Alright, so Romans chapter... 11, 16, 25, with them. He says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, you know, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, it says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the, but the root thee. Right. Thou would say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, twenty says, Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take it lest he also spare not thee. Twenty two behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which which fell severity, but toward thee toward thee. Goodness, if that continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. Uh, verse 23. And they also, if they abide not still, unbelief shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off the olive tree, which is bad by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall this, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their into their own olive tree? Olive tree. Look at 25. 
He says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So Paul calls it a mystery. He says, But I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Lest you, ye should be wise in your own conceits, that, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I know many of us didn't understand that scripture. Let me quickly. Okay, all right. Let me just quickly explain what is happening here. Paul is telling the Paul is telling the church, the Gentile church in, in, in Romans, and saying, Look, look, there's a mystery I'm trying to show you. God grafted you in. You guys were wild branches, but he grafted you in. Then he says, if God could graft you, you know, could graft you in. Is also able to graft into the trees or the branches that have been cut off. Now, Gentiles, we are the wild branches. The Israelites that rejected the gospel are the only branches that were cut off. And so Paul is giving us a, a wisdom here. He said, look, if God could graft you in, how much more those that he has cut off, that he is able to graft them in again. So he's saying, don't be wise, don't think. So he now says something very important. He said, if God could cut off his original people because of their unbelief, how much more you and I, if we desist from continuing in the faith, are you get what I'm saying? So he was trying to show them, you know, he was trying to give them a warning that for the fact that you're in Christ does not mean you should, you know, you should live anyhow, and also that you are in Christ. You must understand that you are in Christ because of faith. It is your faith that qualified you to be in Christ, to be grafted into that olive tree. And so you have to continue in faith. You must not lose. You must not lose your faith for any reason. You know, your faith in Christ must be continuous, must be solid. And that's why I said, don't miss. Saturday meeting because many of us don't know how to continue in faith and that's one of the greatest problems of the body of, of, of a lot of believers all right? because we are not um, um, serious about that prophecy and if you are close to me you would have heard me say this prophecy over and over again that Paul said the spirit speaks expressly that on the last days many shall depart from the faith Many, he said it's a prophecy and the Spirit speaks expressly about it. It's not something that the Spirit is not clear about. The Spirit is clear about this fact. So, if the Spirit says many will depart from the faith on the last days, or in the last days, alright, because of seducing spirit and doctrines of devils, then it means you and I have to be serious in these last days. We have to, we have to understand how to learn to be rooted in faith, rooted in Christ alone. We have to learn how to be you get what I'm saying, but that's not story for today. So Paul was trying to tell them something. Then you look at verse 25. Many of you will say this is not concerning, but it does. Look at verse 25. He says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles becoming. So this is what Paul is saying. That God allowed Israel to reject the gospel so that you and I can come. Are you seeing that now? So, God allowed it like that. So, the reason why many Israelites are not saved right now 
is so that many Gentiles can be saved. It's a mystery. I don't know why God did that. That's why it's called a mystery. But that's what Paul is saying here. That the reason why many of them, you know, are blinded to the truth, to the gospel, and there are many Jews who don't believe in Christ, actually, is because God wants many Gentiles to come into the faith. So, in God's wisdom, there is a number of Gentile nations, there is a number of Gentiles that must come into the faith. When that number is completed, then... God will renew his salvation promise to Israel. It's a mystery. That's what Paul is saying. When the fullness of the Gentiles are coming, when the full numbers of Israel, of, of Gentiles are coming, when the full number according to God's calculation, according to God's wisdom, when God has seen that, okay, all the Gentiles that need to be saved have been saved already. When that happens, then God will renew is salvation promise to Israel. And many Israelites will be saved. The Israel, the Jewish nation will be saved. Because God has made a promise. God has made a covenant to save them. I can't just go into many scriptures in the, in the, in the book of the prophets. But listen, God will save Israel. And that is why many wise ministers of God like RCCG, for instance. I don't know about many churches, but I attend RCCG. That's my local assembly, right? When we're, when we're having 50 days fasting this year, you know, from January 11 to March 1st, right? When we're having that 50 day fasting, there was a, there was a, a particular section of the fasting period that was devoted to praying for Israel. So you see that Baba, you may think you have revelation more than him, but those men know God. Those men know Bible. They are not just saying many things on the altar. They are not, see all these things that we are still arguing about. That young young boys are saying, is this true? Is this not true? Those men know it. The reason why they are not teaching it is because, you see, God has different bodies for different dispensations. Is he a man that will travel from Nigeria and go to America to go and listen to Egin that will not know new creation realities? Are you joking? So many people think that those men don't know new creation realities. They don't know the Bible. A man that will leave Nigeria, travel to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and go and, and go to Kinetekin camp meeting, camp meeting, and go and be judging, go and be listening to, to the word. A man that was that was taught by piety will not know will not know you. So so that man that man knows the word of God. He knows he knows these things. So in that fasting period, there was a section just to pray for Israel, and that's because the man understood. That Israel is part of God's plan and purpose, especially for the last days. In fact, some theologians, some Bible scholars, I'm going to leave that for arguments, alright? But I believe it's true. Just me personally. Okay, let me not say I believe it's true. Because <laughs> so that nobody come and hold my neck. But some theologians are of the opinion that the 1,000, the millennial reign of Christ, that Christ will rule from Jerusalem. Why? Because God has made a promise to David that I'm going to raise a seed, a descendant from you. He will, he will rule, he will sit on the throne. Listen, it's not just um, all those prophecies are not figurative in, 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 in a sense. Most theologians believe that indeed Jesus will come as, because in the millennial reign, Jesus will. You know, the first time he came, he came as a lamb. 
but the next time he's coming, he's going to come as king. And so, in that millennial reign, he's going to you know, rule from Jerusalem and all of that, whether it is true or not. I just know from the authority of scripture that Israel will be saved. God will renew his covenant with Israel, his covenant of salvation. Because salvation is of the Jews. Even Jesus said so. Salvation is of the Jews. And so, Paul is saying the reason why the Jewish nation, alright, are not accepting the gospel is because God allowed it to be so for a period of time. So that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. And when the number of the Gentiles that, are, that will receive the salvation of God has come in fully, then God will renew the salvation of Israel. Now, in my own level of understanding the Bible, I don't know when God will do that. I don't know how many number of Gentiles should come in. It's not my business. Me, I shall know I'm, I'm part of the Gentiles that are already saved. I don't know about you. I don't, when I read the Bible, I don't look for necessary details. But I, so, I, so that, this is why is Paul including this theology into his teaching to the Roman church? If he's including it to a Gentile church, it means you and I should know. And you get what I'm saying? In fact, some people believe that one of the reasons why America is a successful nation, in spite of all the evil they, they do, because many of the evil that has sprung forth in the end times has come from that country. You get what I'm saying? I don't know but has come from that country. But one of the reasons why many theologians believe that you know, God has been merciful to, to, to USA is because USA doesn't, doesn't joke with Israel. If you are fighting Israel, it's as if you are fighting America. I get what I'm saying. And so there's a disposition we must have. And not just that, we must also understand that if God can cut, that's what Paul is saying. Paul is telling them that if God could cut off the original branches and grafted you a wild branch, grafted you in into the holy tree. He said, Don't be careless about your salvation. And I think I'm going to just stay, stay on that. Let's not be careless about our salvation. You, you can't just be careless about your salvation. You can't just leave. You can't, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. No, you must take your salvation seriously. You must endeavor to be rooted in Christ. You must endeavor to. To grow in your convictions about Christ. Are you, are you following what I'm saying, friends? You must endeavor. That is grace speaking to you. You know, in, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, The grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to be sober. You see, many of us don't understand what the grace of God is. And that's why I have been telling you that the grace of God is that God is working in you. You can't tell me God is working in you and you are living anyhow. You, God, you are not, is it that you are ending, you are rejecting the work that, that God is doing in you? Because the grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. So, Paul is simply saying, he's saying two things here. He's saying, God will restore Israel. Hallelujah. It's a fact. God will restore Israel. But he's saying, he's saying you as well, that you are being granted in. You know, it was saying that you guys know that you are not part of the common world before. But by mercy and grace, through faith, you have been granted, you have been brought into the commonwealth of Zion. That's why it is called the commonwealth of Zion. It is Zion's commonwealth. It is Israel's commonwealth. We were just brought into it by mercy and grace and by the atonement sacrifice of Christ. Hallelujah. Because this covenant we are enjoying was actually for Israel. But God wants all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So, because look at this. It's so powerful. I, I, 
My time is going, but let me just tap this up. So Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, God will restore the covenant he has with Israel, but not just that, you also that have been grafted in, you have to take your salvation seriously. Many of us don't take our spiritual life seriously, and it's painful. Because you have to understand that, because God wanted you to be saved, he permitted Israel to reject the salvation, just because of you. Okay, let's read that scripture in NIV. I think many of us, the the language that um, Paul, KJV used may not be clear to many of us. Open to NIV. Let me read from my NIV um, 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 version here. Romans chapter 11. Verse 16. It says, If the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive fruit, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Are you seeing what I said? Do not consider yourself. Don't think that you are better than those Jews who are not saved. You are not better. Alright, that's what he's saying here. He's saying if you do, you consider this. He's saying if you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say the branches were broken off so that I can be grafted in. He says, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. He says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness, kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Are you seeing that? Otherwise, you also will be cut off. He says, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel shall, will be saved as it is written. Are you seeing that now? The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Look at 28. It says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Are you seeing these words? But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. 29. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Glory to God. So what Paul is saying here is that God's promise towards Israel cannot be revoked. It's irrevocable because God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. And in this context, he's talking about Israel. You get what I'm saying? He's talking about Israel. He's saying that because of God's covenant with their patriarchs, God lost Israel. And so God will save them. And then he's now speaking to us. He's now saying, you and I that were wild olive shoots, that were, uh, were grafted in. He said we should consider the kindness and the sternness of God. We should not take lightly what we have received, but we should continue. We should continue in persistence, in spiritual fervor, in, spir- in spiritual consistency. And so, you, you, so on one hand, he's saying to us that Israel will be saved. On the other hand, he's also telling us that we also must do everything, you know, 
according to the, to the mercy and grace we have received to continue in the faith. That is the, that is the message that Paul is bringing. Hallelujah. Glo- glory to God. Hallelujah. I will get what I'm saying tonight. So, the conclusion of Romans chapter 9 to 11 is that it is a mystery. Alright? Israel is added unto the full number of the Gentiles as coming. So, the hardness of heart of unbelieving Jews is what has brought access by which salvation comes to the Gentiles. So, so there are no is actually an access for us to experience the salvation that has come to us as Gentiles. And so, Israel is the elect of God. They have been predestined for salvation. Therefore, according to the authority of this scripture, all Israel will be saved. They are God's people. And God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Romans chapter 11 verse 29. Have you seen that? So God has called them. So you have to understand this. This is very important for us to understand, you know, for a number of reasons, all right, which I may not be able to say here. But you need to understand that as a believer, you are here because God had to add in Israel. So that, you see, because God gave a parable. And, and this parable is what will help us understand what Paul is trying to say. Many of us know this parable, but we never really took note of it. Jesus, Jesus gave this parable. You know, in the gospel, he said a certain king wanted to do a wedding for his son, and so he sent his servants. All right, the servants that would mean you know the prophets, preachers, and all of that, to go and bring in the people. And so when they went there, the people gave excuses. They just said no. All right, I'm just paraphrasing. I'm making it colloquial. All right. And so when they came in, they said, "Oh God, these people you sent us to didn't receive the message," and the king was angry. Look at, the, look at what Jesus is saying. And he said, okay, you know what? Because they said no, go to the highways. Bring the lame, bring the prostitute, bring the destitute. Just go to the highway. Now, let us give character. Let us name the characters according to the revelation of scripture. The king there is God the Father. All right? The son there is Jesus Christ. The wedding banquet describes the commonwealth of Zion, the riches of salvation that God has prepared. All right? Because salvation is for the Jews. So, the people that the servants there are the prophets, the preachers, and all of that. And so the people that the king sent them to initially were the Jews, were, were Israel. And so they rejected the message of salvation. Alright? And so God had to send the servants to go to the Gentile nations, which are, you know, the lame, the, the, the maimed, alright, the prostitute, the destitute on the road. So you see what Paul is saying now. Because if those initial people did not say no, those people on the highway, that is the Gentiles, would not have been saved. Are you getting it? So because they said no, they are no, the first people's no, the Jews no, alright, became an opportunity for the Gentiles to receive salvation. Because you see, the salvation is for the Jews. And so God prepares salvation for the Jews. But because, and I know Paul says it's a mystery. And so I will leave it like that. But I'm just trying to give you hint on what it, really, it, it is really saying. And so Paul is saying, God made it like that, that the Jews will say no, so that there can be opportunity for you and I to be grafted in. Now look at this. In that same parable, this is very important for you to understand, in that same parable, I think in, in the Luke rendition, I'm, I'm not sure, somebody will help me find it out. In the Luke rendition, when the people in the highways, you know, 
symbolic of the Gentiles, were brought in. The Bible says there was a particular guy that came into that wedding ceremony with rags, on unbefitting attire. And the king said, how can you come into this place with this kind of thing? And so they told, he told the servant, he said, cast this guy out. What does that mean? It means that there is an attitude. There is a need as you have received salvation. There is a need to continue in the faith with the right attitude. Are you getting what I'm saying? With the right attitude. Paul told Timothy and said there are some people who are ever learning and never come, they never come into the knowledge of the truth. If you have that kind of attitude, very soon you will come into the probacy. God will give it to a reprobate mind. And that's why I tell people, you have to take your spiritual life seriously. So they told that, they how can you, we call you to come to this banquet. See how you, you came. Look at your other people. Look at how other people are doing this. Some of you need to look. That's why I tell you, if you have wrong people around you, your, your spiritual life will be wrong. How can you have friends who don't, you know, who don't value spiritual things? Me, I said, I can't, you can't be my friend if you don't love God. Number one. Two, you can't be my friend if you don't have the same passion I have towards God. You can't be my friend. Another worst case is some of you can even go and marry somebody that has no honor for God, has no desire to serve God. I don't know how you could do those things. A guy will ask you out and you know that this guy, him and God, they are fighting. They, they are both keeping malice. You, know, you get what I'm saying? I don't mean that literally. But I'm just... This guy is not, um, is not in the same, is not in sync with God. He has no passion for God. And because you are so hungry for marriage, you said yes. Or some of you will see a girl, you know, this girl has nothing. She and Christ, they, they, they are not friends. Because she's fine, she has a glass, a skin be like glass, then you went to marry. You know, and I said this just to butcher the fact that you have to even be sure that the people you are in company with are not going to be people that will hinder you from working with God. If you are going to stop me from working with God, it's you that will cuckoo go. I will leave you alone. You see, because I am saved, because I know the importance of what Christ has done for me, I do not take it lightly. That's what Paul is trying to explain to them. That look, if, if God could cut off those guys that initially called, what about you? You that are even a wide olive, olive shoot. So you have to consider the kindness and the severity of God. Glory be to God. Now this question, this thing I said now will raise the question that, Pastor, are you now saying that once saved is not forever saved? Or are you now saying that a man is not eternally saved? I don't know what you are talking about. I'm not talking about that. I have no business with that. Just hear what I'm saying. And what is, this is scripture. I just read scripture to you. You know, because that has been a lot of, you know, a lot of Argument in the body of Christ is one saved forever saved. You know, is there anything like eternal salvation? I'm not going to talk about it, all right, because that's a lot of argument on his own. But this is what I'm trying to say: that if you are in Christ, you have to allow yourself, by the mercy and by the grace of God, to grow in your faith. You have to take seriously what you have received by the grace of God. You have to take it seriously. You have to take your spiritual life seriously. You have to take your faith in Christ seriously. Glory be to God. Are we together on that? So let me rush quickly to the next one. So there's so many things I could have talked about. 
you know, Romans 9 to 11, but time would fail me to genuinely speak about them. But maybe some other time we'll do a, a proper study on it. And so the last thing I will share with us in the book of Romans is concerning the practicality of the Christian life. And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Because you see, the Christian life is practical. And Paul started this discourse from Romans chapter 12 to chapter 15, basically. Hallelujah. So when you read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says something. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Look at those words. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Ooh. Two, he's saying the same thing now. In verse two, he's still saying the same thing, but in another way. He's not saying, and be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the first thing Paul is saying here, he's saying, guys, we are supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, Paul is saying that if you are a believer, you are supposed to be living for God. Are you getting what I'm saying? You are meant to be living for God. If you are a believer, you have no other choice. You are consecrated unto God. You are supposed to be living for God. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think verse 15, Paul says, alright, let's look at our scriptures together. Paul says he died and you know and rose again, so that those that will those that live will no longer live unto themselves, but live for him that died and was raised for them. But let's read it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. He says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is the Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. It's not for pastors. It's not for some set of people. You know, in this world now, if you are living for God, you are all out for God. You sacrifice yourself for the gospel. People think it's because you want to build a big ministry. People think you are trying to be... That is your normal life. Are you with me? Because Paul says it is your reasonable service. And Paul is starting here because he wants to show us what service to God is. Service is not service to God is not I'm cleaning chair in church. That's not it. You know, I remember those times in school. Some Yahoo boys, you know. I don't know how I need the Yahoo boys, but I just need them. I just saw them in church that day. We were praying for weekly service. Because I was a leader in church, so I think I was just praying around the church at that time. So I saw these boys. Come in, two of them, and they just quickly came in. They cleaned the chair. After they cleaned the chair, they finished and they went to go and drop their offering and they went. They did before the service started. They, they have cleaned the chair, dropped their offering, and they are gone. In their carnal, foolish, dark mind, they believe they are served God. But that's not just that's not your reasonable service. You are the sacrifice of God. You are His worship. You are the worship that springs from the earth to the heart of the Father. Not your songs. Not your offerings. You are the sacrifice. 
So if you are not living for God, if your life is not sold out for God, Paul says you have been conformed to this world. That's why I said the second verse is not saying something different. So Paul says, live, present your bodies as a living sacrifice only and acceptable to the Lord for it's your reasonable service. He says, I'm being not conformed to this world. Because you see, the order of this world is that men should not live for God, but men should live for themselves. Can you follow what I'm saying? That's the language of the world. You know, when we're doing Ibadan in Gadrin, I explain that the language of Babylon is let us make ourselves great. Let us make our name great. And I told you that in, in Zion, the language is that God will make you great. And how does God make you great? He makes you serve. Because when you serve, you are... You know, people have issues with some things I say. And I understand. I, I mean, I understand. I'm willing to change, but it's just what it is. I've read the scriptures and I have definition for my life. The, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest in the Gospels. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, the greatest among you is he that serves. And you get what I'm saying? So that means, the man that serves is actually the greatest. So, I, I said all of that to say, that being non-conformed to this world contextually would mean that the world teaches you to live for yourself. Many of you, the only thing you think about your life is yourself. You have no God dreams in your heart. You have no desire to see God glorified upon the earth. All you are thinking is about how you make money, how you marry a beautiful girl, how you have your own wife, you travel to Seychelles, to Malaysia, to, to Madagascar. Mm, what what do you know that place? Madagascar. You just travel everywhere. That's because that's the language of the world. Live for yourself. But the language of the kingdom is live for God. Live as a living sacrifice. For that is your service. Your offering is not the service that God first requires. You are the service. Your heart. Your bodies. You present yourself. And suppose they be not conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transformation. I mean, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying that change your mind. Renew your mind about what life is all about. Begin to see, you know, because when you read what he's saying contextually, he's simply saying renew your mind. Begin to account yourself as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That is how a believer should think. So before you do anything, you are thinking, God, is this what you would have me do? Because I'm living unto you. I will go wherever you go. Lead me and I will go. Lead me and I will follow. Many of you have never asked a simple question. Oh Lord, what will you, what will you have me do? You know, that was the first question that Paul asked the Lord at the encounter. On his road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and said, Shaulu, Shaulu. Shaulu would mean the Hebrew word for Saul, alright? I wasn't trying to sound deep. I just like the, I just like the way it sounds. Shaulu. Sounds, sounds cool. Alright. So, he called him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm the one. Don't you know it is, I'm, the, I'm Jesus, the Lord. Don't you know it is hard to kick against the bricks? Said, and then Paul asked the most important question I feel any believer should ask. At the beginning of his Christian work, Lord, what would you have me do? Many of you, when you are born again, you never ask that question. And you are still not asking that question. 
Hallelujah. And that's because we are never truly interested in presenting. We still want to go the way of the word. You see, the language of the word I told you is gratifying yourself. Make yourself great. When Nimrod gathered the people together and said, let us build a tower. Let us make our name great. You see, and that's what many of us build our lives upon. How to make ourselves great upon the earth. But Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost here, that presents your body as a living. Do you know what a sacrifice is? And that's why I tell people, we are all believers, but we don't have the same relevance before God. Your relevance is going to be directly proportional to how much of yourself you have offered to God. You know, I gave you uh, one, another one time, some of us have forgotten. All these CC prophets, you know, some CC prophets were praying for a particular, you know, I, I heard this, I wasn't there, but I've heard it from one or two people, one or two pastors, so I know it's, it's quite true. This man that, that, you know, that uses glasses, um, or or something, they were praying for a dead man. And I think they prayed for some hours, and the dead man wasn't coming back to life. And then the man lifted up his eyes to God, in, in anguish of soul, and said, God, will you fail to give me something? That's what he said. I mean, I'm translating to Europe in English because in Yoruba, he just simply said, because well, I know some people don't understand Yoruba here. But in Yoruba, he said, he was typically God, God, will you fail to give me something? Will I ask you for something and you will not give me? And instantly, as he said that thing, that dead man, you know, jumped back to life. You know, when I heard, when I heard that story, you know what, I, what came to my heart? That man was tearing up a track record of sacrifice. A track record of living for God. Immediately he said, so God remembered, ah, this guy left all for me. When I called him, he didn't, re- he didn't refuse my call. Many of you don't know that the things you are laying down for God, God never forgets. It may be your children, your children will be in deep situations. That is when God, I said, God will say, I can't allow foolish children to be in trouble. He left all to follow me. You get what I'm saying? These things are not a joke. And so Paul says, that's a reasonable service. You offering yourself as a living sacrifice. This is the practicality of the... So if you, if you have this understanding, you won't be asking stupid questions. Should, should, you know, should we have sex before marriage? It's not, it, will not be, it, will not be, it will not be a question for you. Should I wear mini skirt? Should I not wear mini skirt? How can you wear mini skirt? You know, I'm trying to tell you how it works. How can you wear mini skirt? You know, I, I, I have a friend. I don't know she may be listening. But it's a very beautiful, beautiful testimony. I just met her last year. And we're very good friends. You know, she's all these, all these big girls. And then she told me something. She said, Folosha, if you had met me two years ago, I'm not the same person. I mean, this person I'm talking about dresses well. I mean, she doesn't wear mini skirt. She doesn't wear skimpy dresses. But she told me, I used to wear skimpy dresses. I, I, I love skimpy. I was, you know, into skimpy dresses. But as she began to have fellowship with God, began to learn the life of living for the Lord, a day just came. She just knew she could no longer wear skimpy dresses. That's what happens to you when you begin to live, when your mind begins to renew. You know, your mind is being renewed. You are beginning to, to now see that you, your life is meant to be for the Lord. How do you get to what I'm saying? If you are living for the Lord, you will be asking stupid questions like, should I pay tithe? Should I not pay tithe? When you put that kind of question, I just laugh. It's always very funny because 
You can use, you can use、um, your money to buy shawarma. You buy all your things. You, 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 you go and watch. But to pay tithe in church, you will not be asking questions. Should we pay tithe? You know, if, because if you are living for God, that will not even be a question. I've never paid my tithe for once because I'm hoping that God will multiply my, the money in my account. I pay my tithe because, number one, I know the Lord owns me, He's my source and my sustainer. Glory to God. So, you know. And the reason why many of us don't live for God is because we don't understand the greatness of what God has done for us. Now, there was a meditation I had, you know, some few days ago. I was just thinking that, you know, one thing that many believers lack is the understanding of the depth and greatness of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because. If you understand the greatness of, of what God has done for you, your natural response would be to lay down your life for Him. I'm going to tell you a story and I'll begin to round up. There was, I hate to tell you, this is a true life story, it's not Nollywood. True life story. You know, a, a man of God told me this story. So he said there was a, a particular man of God, some, some, um, Hired assassins, you know, came into his house to come and kill him. But fortunately for him, he was upstairs. You know, I think he was preparing to go out, so he was upstairs. His driver was in the compound downstairs by the car, I guess, waiting for his ogre to come out and then he drives him off. You know, that kind of thing.、Uh, so I think there were just two of them that we are at home at that time. And so when the hired assassins came, you know, with guns and all that, and they asked the driver, Where's your ogre? The driver said, My guy is not around you. He said, Nala, he's around. This is his car, and you are his driver. Because if he was not around, you will not be around to and this car and this, you know, all, all of those things. But he said, I said, My guy is not here. He said, He's around. Then the guy said, Okay, if you want to kill my guy, you have to kill me first. And so he was just there. The man of God was hearing the whole thing, you know. Of course, that kind of thing, noises were around, was already brewing up. There w a s already noises and. You know, chaos everywhere. So the guy was drag, dragging with them, dragging with them, and the guy was raising his voice, you know, calling for help and all of those things. And last, last, to cut the long story short, they left, the IRCs left. But of course, the driver was, was wounded, was, was inflicted with much wounds and pains and all of that. And so they, you know, the man of God came down and all of it. So the, the man of God asked him and said, Why did you? Put yourself in danger because of me. Because that's a real thing. If you see God and they say, Where's your God? He say, He's there upstairs. So, I mean, that's what a natural man should do. <laughs> say, Man, he's upstairs. Go and meet him. But this man was ready to die. This is a real life story. And so the, the, the man of God was worried, was concerned. Why did, you, why did you do that? You know, you put your life in danger for me. And the man said, Oh God, since the day I've been working for you, All these years, for more, for more than 20 years, all right, you have been good to me. You, you put my children in good schools, one of the best schools in town. You take care of my family. You pay me well. You treat me well. You do good things to me. And the man, and the driver said something striking. He said, I prefer to die than for you to die. Because if me, I die, and you, Oga, you are still alive, I'm sure you take care of my family. You, take, you treat them well. Now, look at that statement, look at that thought pattern. If he considered the life of his master more important than his life, 
Not because the master is his brother or uncle, but because he has been good to him. He understood the depth of the goodness of his master. And not just to him, to his family. And so he accounted his life as nothing compared to his master. That's a natural man. And this is what I'm trying to say. That if you can understand the depth of the riches of the goodness of God, the most natural thing for you would be to serve him. The most important, the most natural thing for you to do would be to love him. You know, Jesus said, those that are forgiven much, love much. The matter of the reason why you don't serve God very well is because you feel you, you can afford you can afford the salvation you have right now. Maybe because you were born into Christian homes, you have been shouting hallelujah since when you were small. But for a man, for a woman like Mary Magdalene, that was a, that was a first grade prostitute, and Jesus came and showed her love and mercy, casted out seven demons from her, the most natural thing for her was going to be to love him. And not just to love him, even at his death, she was willing to go and roll away the stone. When I read that scripture, I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering the depth of love. She had for the master. The love was so strong that some foolish people, you know, some foolish, you know, I don't know, they're just foolish people, you know, came up with a theory that is like she was Jesus' girlfriend. Because that kind of love is rare. How can you love your, your pastor like that? How can you love your teacher like that? Because she was just so in love. I mean, when she, when she went to the place and she didn't see his body, she saw a man, she saw Jesus, but she thought it was the gardener because Jesus, in his resurrected body, took up another form. And so she couldn't recognize him. And so she thought, he said, Master, where have you kept his body? Give me the body, I will take him. Look, listen, naturally dead bodies are heavy. So I don't even know, even if the man was alive, I could have cried. But he said, give me the body, I will carry it. That, that, that kind of love that drives you crazy. It's always an offspring of an understanding of how good God has been. She must have considered. In fact, when you read, I think, Luke chapter 8, the Bible mentions the name of about seven women that were constantly giving to Jesus. They were giving Jesus, supporting his ministry, giving him money, you know. And personally, I always feel that women are more supportive than men. Men are very stingy, I don't know why. That's just a joke, but I don't know why they didn't mention men. They mentioned women. Mary Magdalene was one of those women that was constantly giving to Jesus. Why? She wasn't trying to give because she was looking for a favor or she was looking for title. Alright? Because of the depth of love she had. She felt my money is his money. Why? Because of the depth of understanding of the love that he has shown her. So, so, so when we teach you know, what Christ has done, we are also doing it so that you can see what Christ has done for you and it can stir up in your heart a genuineness to serve Him. If you are not serving God, it's because your heart is blind to how much God has given to you, how much God has done for you. Are you together? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Praise God. And so, if we are not genuinely serving God, it's because we lack the revelation of what He has done for us. So He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. You are holy unto God. Your heart is for Him. Your resources are for Him. Your gifts and talents are for Him. Verse 2, He says, And be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. You know, some people, 
Some people have said stuff like, there's a good will of God. <laughs> there's a good will of God. There's a what now? There's an acceptable will of God and then there's a perfect, no, perfect will of God. That's not what they're saying. It all means the same thing. It's just emphasis. Right? If it is good, it is perfect. If it is perfect, it is acceptable. Right. You just put emphasis to it. Hallelujah. That ye may prove. Are you with me? Ah, I would have wanted us to, to, to examine that word, prove. Can we do that now? My time is almost up. Let me see if I can show us some things there. But okay, let's, let's, let's not worry. I will leave us to go and study it. Because that's a very... That's a very mighty thing that Paul is saying there. Ah, you let me touch it. Okay, let me just keep my revelation to myself. <laughs> and so when you read down the scripture from verse 4 to verse 8, Romans chapter 12 from verse 4 to verse 8, then Paul began to talk about ways in which we express that genuinely we are willing to serve God. Genuinely we have, you know, we have offered ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so verse 4, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Verse 5, he says, So we be many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. 6, he says, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Verse 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or, in, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorted on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with sharpness. You know, so Paul is saying, one of the ways that we show, you know, that, you know, we, we have offered our lives as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, is that we are diligent enough to serve with the grace that God has given us. And very importantly, I want to say, that if you are a member of the body of Christ, God has given you a grace, at least you have one grace through which many believers will profit from. Are you getting one? You have something to give. There's always something to give. You have to serve. You have to serve. You have to serve your brothers. You have to serve. And that's why Jesus gave that parable and said, Let the greatest among you serve. And that's why I always say. That when you are serving, it is a proof that you are great. I know people say, service is the pathway to greatness. But I always choose to say that service is greatness. Now let me tell you why I'm doing that. Because definition is very important. Definition is powerful. How you define it is, is powerful. Because there was a day, I heard the story of one man that was telling God. and said, God, you know do me well, Lou. When they were building church, I was there, carrying block, carrying pompon. You know, build house for me. She now said they do things. He was accusing God. You know why? Because they told that man that if you serve, one day you become great. And that's why I don't like that word. Service, service is the pathway to is the pathway to greatness. You know, because people are serving. You know, people are, have funny mindset in church that oh God, as I'm cleaning chair for you, one day they will clean chair for me. Are you joking? What kind of what kind of mindset is that? As I'm helping pastor. You know, there are many people in church that you think they are serious. When, when you check their heart, they are serving for the wrong motives. And the reason is because they believe that if they serve, one day they will become great. But Jesus never said so. Okay, go and read the parable. 
It was not a parable. Go and read that text where the disciples were, you know, were arguing about who the greatest was. Jesus said, Okay, let the greatest among you serve. Let the greatest among you take the lowest position. Let the ruler among you, let the leader among, among you, let him serve. So you see what Jesus is saying? He said that the proof that you are great is that you take the lowly position. The proof that you are a true leader, that you are a true great person, is that you are serving. So in God's definition, service is what? Greatness. Greatness is service. Service is greatness. That's what it means. But if you say service is the pathway to greatness, well, you are right too. But I just believe it's safe for us to define it that way, that service is greatness. Don't be thinking that as I'm cleaning chair, as I'm cleaning chair, one day they will clean chair in my own house. As I'm helping them, look, it's not like that. It's not always like that. When you are serving, it's because you are a great person. Your service is an expression of your greatness. So in your local assembly, you know, in the ensign community, you are doing one thing or the other. You are not doing it so that one day you will be, no. Whatever you are doing in, the, in, in any Christian community, Whatever you are doing in any Christian community is a proof you are a great person. That's what Jesus teaches. Can we find that text? I don't know if Holy Ghost will have me to talk about this. But somebody will say, Proof to us that what you are saying is true. You know, some, people, some people are like that. They say, Except we shall let see. We shall not. Okay. Okay, thank you. I think this one should do. But there's one I'm looking for. I think it's in Luke. I don't know. But this one too is good. Matthew 23, verse 11. He says, The greatest among you will be your servant. Are you seeing that now? The greatest among you will be what? Will be your servant. So when you are serving, what is, does that mean? You are actually the greatest. So you will not like to serve. You form boss. It's a proof that you are not even great. So the proof of greatness is always in service. That's why I gave that definition. That service is greatness. Don't let anybody fool you with any, anything. As you are singing in the choir, one day they will sing oh, this kind of funny, funny thing. Why did they get all this revelation? I don't know. As I'm cleaning, as I'm cleaning past, no, no much even clean anybody's true, but, but all right. Okay, Luke 22 26. Thank you. Let's look at Luke 22 26. Thank you, Zara. Zara, I will give you, I will give you a gift for being a diligent student, <laughs> for helping me in the day of shame. Because some people say, it's only calling himself a pastor, you know, but you know, just so many, I just need to summon in Luke and Matthew. Okay, look at verse 24, Luke 22 24. It says, A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So, you see, those apostles too, they were carnal at the point. They were shocked, say, Okay, who will be the greatest now? Peter, I'm sure Peter will say, Now, me now, now, me go be greatest. I, I don't have to turn at this thing. Then John will say, No, I'm going to be the greatest. You know that James and John came behind the apostles to come and meet Jesus and say, Master, I beg. Give us chance that in your kingdom you will sit at your right and your left hand. You see, all those boys, the evil boys, <laughs> they didn't say the wise. And Jesus says, it's not even for me to even give anybody any space. He said, but can you drink of the wine I will give? They say we are able to drink. They cover themselves. And Jesus says, indeed you will drink. Jesus, you know, Jesus is very, he's very wise. He said, indeed you will drink. He now says, you will drink it, but I don't know whether you will sit on my right hand or left hand. He says, it's my father that handles that. And he did a drunk. James was the first person to be killed. They, they, they cut off his neck. He was the first, he was the first person that, <laughs> although John didn't really die a, um, um, a, martyr, a martyr's death, according to many theologians, but he too suffered a lot. So, look at the Bible. 
Luke 22, 24. Just allow me to establish. I know time has gone. But apart from the fact that many of you have to sleep and prepare for work, I feel this will help you. This will, you know, because there are many people who are frustrated. Who are many, there are many believers who are frustrated now because they believe they serve God. They are supposed to be great now. And it's a very wrong mindset. You know, just this way, this man, Pastor Bioye, that serves the Bishop Oedipo, you know, it, if it were some other pastors, they would have said, I've served with him enough. Me too, I can stand on my own. I should become. But the man understood that service is greatness. So he's comfortable serving. Are you get what I'm saying? A dispute also among that which, just when he's five, Jesus said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that instead. The greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And so Jesus, I seen that now. So Jesus said some things that I, that um, just buttresses that. Glory to God. So when, okay, thank you, Shimon, for me. Thank you. So when you are serving, you are actually expressing greatness. So be comfortable serving. I love to serve. You know, personally, I don't even like the public scene. You know, I don't like the public scene. I don't like you know people. If I'm in a place, I just like to be at the background, do what I have to do, make sure everything goes fine. You know, because I'm comfortable. That is greatness. That's my definition. Don't be like that man. You man say, God, you know, be said that they do things. So, when did they carry pompom for church? Build the church. I carry pompom. I I carry you know, because they they told the man that if you if you build the house of the Lord, God will build us for you. But those are the mindsets that make people get offended with God. God didn't give any, any funny promises. He said, serve. And as you are serving, you are expressing greatness. Because only great people can serve. Only great people can serve. Are we being blessed tonight? So, I believe that helped our hearts, gave us. And then, you know, from, from chapter 12. So, Paul was simply saying, let us serve with the grace that we have. Please give me just 10 minutes I'll be done. Just us serve with the grace that we have. If you have the grace of music. Now, a lot of people used to, used to ask a question that should, you know, musicians be paid in church or not. Um, it's a very dicey situation. But this is what I think. If you're a musician in a church, you also have to consider the financial, the financial um, capacity of the church. You know, I'm just saying this for, for the sake of some people who are musicians who are listening to me. Because it's been a contention over the years. Should we pay musicians or not? I believe that if you're a musician and you love the Lord, you want to serve the Lord. Serve. Uh, um, you can serve and trust God to give you another ways of getting money. All right. At the same time, if you're a pastor and you have a musician in your church, that's all you do. Because as musicians, that's all they do with their life. They study music. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scheme. It's a craft we went to learn in music school. And, all, and that's all they can do. If you are going to employ such a, such a person in your church, you should at least be appreciating such a person with something. You know, personally, in our ministry, most of the guys that are musicians, we don't pay them. But if you're going to come, at least I, I want to give you your transport fare. You know, because some of them, I know that's what they do. You know, some, some of them, like Zara and Oni, they don't need money. Those ones are rich. And those ones are you know, vocalists. They, they are rich. So <laughs> all of them in the music team are rich. So they don't need money. But at least for for, for the guys that play keyboard, because I know some of them, you know, that's all they do. 
But I'm, I'm simply saying that whatever you've got to serve, you, have, you, you need to be in your community. The question you should be asking yourself is, what can I do to serve? When I get to a place, I'm not satisfied until I'm doing something, until I'm serving. I'm not, you know, in my church, my local assembly, it took me a while to really join the workforce. And that was because I was not always around. And, you know, at that time, I, there was a contemplation whether I'm, I'm, I was going to leave that area or not. But when I found out that I think I'm going to be here for a little, for a little while, I just said, you know what, I need to join the workforce. I can't just keep sitting one minute chair. You know, you're in a community like the ensign. Look for what you can do. Look for what you can, where you can serve. And it's an opportunity to tell you if you're in this community and all you just do is come for Bible study here and go. It's not good. Look for a place to serve. Look for something to do. Because service is greatness. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so, he says, if you can prophesy, prophesy. Everything you have got. God has given you grace. You know, I want to tell you this. You are not without something to serve with. Some of you, you have money. You have money. Bring this money. What are you doing with it? What do you do in your bank? And that's what, that's what we are talking about. You are so self-centered that all you think about is, watch her, how you are going to marry your wife in a grand style, marry her on a yacht. And you get this money. Now, forget dog. Are you getting what I'm saying? Some of you, that's why we don't have the move of the spirit in our community as we, as, you know, in, in many Christian communities as we ought to. You have the word of prophecy. I remember one time I was going through something, trusting God for direction, for a word. And God wasn't speaking to me. It wasn't as if I was doing anything bad. All right. But He wasn't just speaking to me. I would pray, pray. He won't talk. So that day I just went to pray. I just went to pray, you know, in, in a bush. After hours of prayer, God didn't talk to me. So I just went home, had my bath. Then I went for a Thursday Bible study in our fellowship. Then I was in Andre level. So after, after Bible study, a lady just walked to me, walked up to me. I think I've shared this before on this platform. And then she just said to me, Why during the service God spoke to me about you? I mean, we're not friends. We're not we need to talk. And she says, This is what the Lord says, this is what the Lord says. Accurate words. And then I said, I told the Lord, why didn't you talk to me? He said, No, you have to also learn how to flow with the body of Christ. And so Jesus can appear to Paul and tell him that the things that you need to know, they will tell you in the streets. Called street, going through the city, they will tell you what to do. But you are here with me. Tell me the thing you want to tell me. Jesus said, no. Your brothers will tell you. So, so your brothers also have keys to certain levels of revelation, understanding and direction you need for your life. Many of you, you want to enter a relationship. You will not tell your friends. You will not tell your pastor. Only you. Then when people will not come, you will not be calling. You don't, you don't, don't call my number. Don't call my number. You like to keep secret. You think they're wise. You don't carry people along. You have to. That's why I say, have friends that are spiritual. You want to enter a relationship. You want to enter a relationship. Talk to your friends. Say, ah, guys, oh, you get one baby body. Like, I remember one of my friends one time. I just told him, I was liking a girl, a particular girl. And so I told him, I said, ah, oh, I like this girl. You know what he told me? He said, in her flesh. That's what he told me. I noticed he said, it's, the love for the girl died. <laughs> I, and guess what? I found that it was flesh. Thank God. Thank God he told me. He didn't, I, I you know, if I was playing smart, that's how I would go and enter Wala. Many of you have entered Wala because the community God gave you, you didn't so, You want to go and take a job, you didn't tell people. Say, ah, there's a job, which one should I take? Pray with you. You, you just want to do your life alone. Actually, you think, say, wise. When you enter trouble, you now call us. We won't pray for, I won't pray for you. Of course, I'm kidding, I'll pray for you, but it's painful. Why did you go into that relationship without telling us? Why did you take that step without carrying us along? We have some practices. You want to travel abroad. 
you not tell but then when you have not reached there, like two days, you now stand and say, Ah, oh, God, I don't day long, don't know. If you are my friend and you do that, that's the last time you'll be friend because I will feel you are trying to tell me I'm an enemy of progress. Why will you go to you, you not even Abuja, UK? You went to UK, you didn't tell me. And that's that you don't do that in the body either of one pastor. Pastor of a church, this one is life story. Pastor of a church, he was planning to travel out with his family, he didn't tell the church members. Sunday just came, they didn't see where the pastor go to now. You don't, you don't go UK. What kind of pastor is that? Because of oh, he's, he's afraid that they will stop him in the spirit. Oh. You see, you need to learn to be secure. And I'm going to really share some things, you know, maybe on Saturday that will help us. But I'm saying this that you need to understand that many of the things you are looking for is found in the body of Christ. Are you with me? You know, blessings are in the body of Christ. And if you have something in the body of Christ, serve with it. Serve. For example, I have a teaching grace. So where should I be? I will definitely be in Bible study in my church. Some of you are good with graphics, you are good with cinematography, you are good with media things. You will not help your church with it. You are waiting for them to pay you money. That's why you will be poor. Because you don't know. Oh, my time is up. Okay, let me close. Have you been blessed tonight? Because I don't want to offend people. But I have so much to share with us tonight. I, you know, them, ah, I have so much. God, I'm just realizing I have so much here that I want to share with us, but there's no time. Because we're supposed to stop, stop by 10. Oh God, what do I do? And I don't want to do any teaching on Romans next week. We have a lot of things to teach this year. Okay, if you want to go off, I will allow you. <laughs> Let me play that card. It's very manipulative, but forgive me. If you want to go off, I will allow you to go off. I can't even stop you because I do, I'm not going to bought data for you, but let me just trash these issues tonight. Please. There's so much in my spirit, but let me trash these issues tonight. Can you allow me to trash it, please? I need feedback in the general group. Please let me trash these issues tonight. Please. Permit me by the mercies of God. Okay, let me just go on so I don't use this time begging. So let me quickly talk about um, working in love because Paul also emphasized that and we cannot overemphasize working in love from chapter 12 Verse 9 to 21, Paul talked about walking in love. Uh, and, and you know, loving your brother is a proof that you have offered yourself as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Are you seeing that now? Loving, you see, when you are loving a brother or a sister, you are actually showing that you, because you see, the commandment of the New Testament is love. So when you are loving, you are actually saying you commit yourself to being God. You commit yourself to obeying the living God. If you hate your brother, if you hate your brother, it is a proof. Ah, my God. God, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to get this truth. You see, I don't know how you people do it. That you can keep malice and go and pray in tongues. I don't know how you do it. If me and a brother have issues, I can't pray. I cannot pray. I cannot pray. I mean, not that... I offended him. Maybe I discovered that a brother has issues with me. I can't pray. That's why one of the things I run away from is issues. I like to settle issues. Let's not have issues. Let's not fight. Let's not wear one trouser. If you are, if you are dragging trouser with me, I leave the trouser with you. Me, I know going to one trouser in Jesus. So, so I don't like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't like to, I don't know how people can sufficiently have issues and pray. Because I know that if I'm not, if me and my brother have issues, I know there's something fundamentally wrong. I know I have to I have to make it right. Because loving my brother is a service unto the Lord. 
Are you getting what I'm saying? So Paul dealt with you. Read the scripture of Romans chapter 12, 1 to. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just read Romans chapter 12. You see all of that. Yeah? I'm trying to rush up, all right? So we can go. <laughs> I want to walk in love and not offend you. Because if, you, if, I'm, if you're offended now, I'll be in trouble, all right? So we have to learn to walk in love towards our brothers, towards our brethren. You have to see loving your brother as a service to God. First and foremost, that loving your brother is a proof that you have offered yourself. That's the life you have been called to live. Are you getting what I'm saying? Praise God. So you cannot claim that you are serving God and then you don't love your brother. You are serving God and then you don't love your brother. Which God are you serving? Let me jump some things because in Romans chapter 13 to 1 to 7, Paul talked about subjecting yourselves to authorities, to governing authorities as a proof of service to God. And this is quite tricky. Tricky in the sense that many of you are used to disobeying the laws of the land. They say pay tax, you don't pay. They say if you read this, you know, Romans chapter 13 very well, you will see where Paul said so. For example, if Bola Ahmed Bart becomes president, he becomes our president. I will not curse him. I will anything he says we should do. If he says stay at home, we stay at home. It's part of service to God. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul talked about it. Peter also spoke about it. Right. So there's nowhere in scripture where it is. The only time we cannot submit to governing authorities is when um, what they are telling us to do is anti the scriptures. Right. And that's why we have to pray. It's not just about voting. We also have to pray that, you know, God will put people that fear him in office and also that those that are in office, even if, even if they're not believers, God will just do it so that, you know, we will not have issues serving God. Are you getting what I'm saying? So that's very important for us to do. Let me just keep all of those things. And lastly, Paul spoke about how that in the body of Christ, the strong are supposed to help the weak. And I'm going to close here finally. The strong are supposed to help the weak. Look, many of us are guilty of this. And it's because we feel you are better. <laughs> Paul told the Philippian church, he said, let no man think himself highly. How do you put it? He said, no. He said, let others, let, he said, esteem others as better than you. Don't always think you are spiritual than other people. I tell people, when you discover that a brother is caught up in a fault, you that are strong, help him. Help your brother. You, you know, you had a brother fornicating, and then you are telling everybody, and you will say it in the name of, you are just concerned, but you are actually just gossiping. You are just being a gossip, a busybody. Why don't you help? Why don't you reach out? You that are strong, help the weak. Some of us, because we have small knowledge, we're going to be causing problems in our churches. That is used to make me laugh. Because you have knowledge. You know, I remember a guy that time. He was just breaking into, you know, some knowledge. Maybe new creation realities or just, you know, teachings on the man in Christ. And it's beautiful because knowledge is not supposed to puff you up. Knowledge should make you serve. Alright. And so because, you know, in those days he was my friend. And so... When they are saying something in the, in, on the pulpit that is not correct, you walk up to where I am and say, that is not correct. It seems to make me angry. You know, many of you, you laugh, you know, at the ignorance of people. You feel you are better. Hmm. The strong 
should help the weak. The strong should help the weak. And also another thing is, there are many things that um, you don't do so that the fate of your brother will not be affected. And you get what I'm saying? There are many things you don't do so that the fate and, and I can go on and on and say a lot of things. But I will just stop here because of time. I have so many things to share, but let me just respect our time. You know, let me be disciplined enough to respect our time. But I believe you've been blessed by this series for the past few weeks. Um, I know I didn't really, you know, touch on a number of things because our time is always too small to cover up for, you know, such um, a rich and um, bulky book like the book of Romans. If we were doing Ephesians, it would have been much more. Ephesians is quite, you know, quite, you know, a little book that we can just finish in two days or so, you know, in two weeks or so. But I believe you've been blessed by the book of Romans. Um... Please go back and do your proper study. Like I always say, study. Get the things you have been taught. Teach other people as well. Help others. The teachings you have been given has made you stronger. Go and help those in your church. They may persecute you at first, but help them. I get help them in love. Preach, teach in love. Submit yourself to authorities in church, but help. You know, help the teenagers in your church. Help the young people in the church. Just have an art to help. Have an art of service. Just love to serve. Love to serve. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Um, we give God praise for a wonderful time in His presence. Um, I want to use this medium to invite you. We're in Lagos. Our um, Lagos in gathering is coming up on Saturday. It's going to be a time of prayer and the Word of God. It's going to be a time of prayer on the word of God. I don't think anybody you know, should miss it. I'm not trying to be proud, but I know that God is doing something mighty with us. He's blessing us, He's strengthening us. And we are getting better by the day. All right? We are just young people that love the Lord. And we are sowing. You know, like I always tell the leaders that if you're a young person, you are primarily in your planting season. It doesn't matter the level of resort you are having now. You are still in your planting season. So plant, invest. You know, invest in, in right communities alright in, you know, invest in prayer and the study of God's word take your work with God seriously make it make it make it make uh, make a personal conviction that you are going to work with the Lord you know I used to imagine myself if the Lord tarries I'm old alright and I have children I have grandsons granddaughters and they will always come to me at every point in time maybe you know family meetings doing Easter you know, and Christmas and New Year, they are with me, and I'll be teaching them the ways of the Lord, the things of the Spirit. As I'm teaching them, I'm also having word of knowledge. And I tell my grandson, I they see one girl for your side, and your girlfriend. He say, How do you do, know, Papa? Grandpa, I say, Are you joking? I don't be a man of the Spirit. <laughs> you know, I used to have this imagination because I knew what I knew what my future should look like. I won't be a can God forbid, I won't be a man that that will be drinking ogogoro and then you'll be entering home by 1 a.m. and then your wife will be smelling ah, kind of useless like that will be kind girlfriend I can't live like that God has delivered me from such I know the, if I'm going to reach my house at 1 a.m. because I went to go and preach somewhere and then I'm just coming back to my home so I know the kind of life I want to live raising children in the way of the Lord my grandchildren they know the way of the Lord my grandchildren they know the way of the Lord but that's why I'm investing my time. 
in the knowledge of the Lord right now. So it will do you good, it will do your generations. Because God said of Abraham, He said, I know Abraham, for he will teach his children my ways. Are you with me? One of the reasons why God must have chosen Mary is because she loved the Lord. She was diligent. Not just that she was a virgin. If she was a virgin, then we know get sense. They don't go give him Jesus Christ. But she was a virgin and then she had the fear of the Lord. And then Joseph too had the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? And then God knew that both of them were going to be a good parent to his own son. And for many of us, God will be giving us children that we are going to that are going to be mighty upon the earth. We need to invest to raise them up well. And, and so some of the things you are doing now is also for your children, for your great grandchildren, even for your husband. You know, sisters, the man that, that, that is going to marry you, we need a solid woman. I, I can't overemphasize this. Your husband, we need a solid woman, a woman of the spirit, a woman that can give him directions, give him word from the Lord in seasons of his life. You know, when he's just trusting God for something. Nobody say, you know, go fear God. No, don't be like that. You know, go fear God for your husband. Say, honey, this is what I perceive the Holy Ghost is saying. Can you pray about it? So I used to remember when Pastor Orion would say they were in Lagos and he wasn't even thinking about going to Abuja. They were just doing their own small ministry in Lagos. And his wife told him, Don't you think we should go to Abuja now? He said he was angry. How can you say we should go to Abuja? What do we don't have anything? How do we start? We are just even trying to settle down. God just bless our work small, small for this Lagos. We are saying go to Abuja. Then as he went to pray, God said, She's right. This, this, this is the season to go to Abuja. Thank God for the wife he married. So let's imagine that the wife no get spiritual wisdom. She no receive things from God because in her youthful days she wasted her time watching serious things, you know, making up and all of those things. Don't be like that. Invest, invest, invest in your spiritual life. Let, let it be possible that God can speak to you for your husband. A man will respect you more if he can see that ah, this girl where I married, she get rank for spiritual. We respect you more. But when you say these things, people will think you are being legalistic. God will help us in Jesus' name. And also be a man too that can carry the bodies of your wife. Not that doing money devotion, you'll be snoring. Don't, don't be like, carry the bodies of, of your family. Carry the bodies of your children. Be a man of prayer. Let it be possible. Some of you can't even pray in the midnight as men. And you carry chest and say, I'm a man. I'm not a man. So you cannot sufficiently tell your wife, go and sleep. Tell your children, go and sleep. And quietly pray and settle things in the midnight. You cannot do that. You will sleep. You will sleep from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Ah! You come and say, I'm a man. I'm a man. And then when your wife is not respecting you at home, you are angry. How will she respect you? I used to be angry when I see only women in, in videos. I say, where are the men? Where are the men? Where are these men? Where are the men? The fathers of, this, of the house. Why are they sleeping and the women are the ones praying? Don't be like that. You must be able to carry the bodies of your family in prayer. You must be able to. Your children must know you as a man of prayer. Our daddy, they pray. They must wake up to the sounds of your prayer. They must sleep under the breath of your prayer. It's, these things I'm showing us so that you can know what it really means to be a man and to be a woman. Nobody says just they carry baby, they do bear down, and you can't, you don't have sufficient supernatural capacity to help your children go in the way of the Lord and to give your wife a heavenly home. Alright, so God will bless us with you. Have a wonderful night.